1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Collider Ladies Night. I am so excited to welcome Jenny Slate to the show for a whole bunch of reasons, but in particular because... Marcel the Shell with Shoes on, the feature, is officially one of my favorite movies of 2022. That's nice. Thank you. I'm sure you heard a lot of this, but I love the shorts. But I was – I'm a little concerned. I'm like, how are you going to turn this into a full feature and actually sustain the full feature running length? And, I mean, you guys just, like, above and beyond exceeded my expectations.
1: That's good. I mean, I have heard a few people say that, Um. But of course, it wasn't really a question in our minds because we are like we had the idea and we thought, I I don't know. I mean, without I don't think we were like cocky about it, but um, but we believed in it. We believed in it. But I think that's the entire thing sort of about Marcel from the beginning is that it would be really hard to pitch it, you know, even the shorts. Like if you were to tell someone like, I want to make a short with no plot about like a one eyed shell who's not a real animal that you've ever known about who doesn't have any arms and he's stop motion but his mouth will be regular animation and it's going to be improvised i mean people would just be like i there's i couldn't possibly help you you know
0: (laughs) this is why you're on that side of the business and i'm on this side of the business you've got the creative (laughs) ambition and the confidence in yourself and i love it so first order of business on collider ladies night is we play with the dice tower behind me I've got eight random questions here. I give you three rolls on this tower and whatever I land on, those are the questions that we start with. Cool. First one up. You got a number one to start. This one is called Never Again. What is something that you did for a past project that now makes you say, I'm really glad I tried that at one point, but I don't need to do that ever again?
1: Well, okay, I really like hot dogs. And you can't like have a hot dog every day if you really want to be healthy. That's just not great for your cholesterol. And you probably will stop liking them as much. So anyway, I think of them as a treat. And there was a movie where I had to eat a hot dog and they were like, here's the spit bucket. And I was like, no, 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 I don't need the spit bucket. I just want to eat a lot of hot dogs because I like them. And I, I was like, I promise there's no way. We're going to do that many takes. Like, we're not going to do more than like, you know, five takes of this. And in each take, I'm only eating like a bite. It's going to be the equivalent of one hot dog. It's not a big deal. And they were like, are you sure? And I said, yeah, 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 for sure. Obviously, you know, like once the hot dog was in front of me, much like with like a weed brownie, you know, when people are like, just eat half and you're like, yeah, totally just eat half. But then you start eating it and you forget that it's not a, a brownie and you eat like three because you're like, I love brownies. So I ate like a lot of hot dogs and um, and I barfed. That is an excellent answer to this question. Never again, never again, never again on that. Use
0: the spit bucket. It just feels so wrong to spit your food out, especially if it's something you like. That's fair enough. We always play a would you rather game on this show too. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, would you rather have to do a scene where you're eating or a scene where you're running? Because both things, if you have to do it for a million takes, sound like the kind of stuff. Running. Yeah.
1: Now I know. Now I
0: know that it's running. Yeah.
1: But, um, But, you know, in the movie, I Want You Back, Charlie Day and I are eating ice cream. And at the time, I, I made that movie like 10 weeks after I had my daughter and I was breastfeeding and I was starving. I was always so hungry and I ate that ice cream. I ate it without stopping. I n- did not need a spit bucket. I was uh, I was eating ice cream. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't suggest that in order to eat your food on set, you be like <laughs> deeply postpartum experience, uh, you know, like breastfeeding, but um, uh worked for me.
0: All right, you got a second roll here.
1: Okay, this is fun. I love games.
0: Oh, I'm glad I have another another one. If we get to it today, it's a little weird, so brace yourself for that one. This is a number seven. Number seven is called movie and TV skills. If you could learn a new skill or about a different profession through a role, what would you want it to be and why?
1: Dance. I would love to be properly taught to like, you know, really move my body with grace. I I've never. You know, I did like some tap and ballet when I was like three years old and basically picked my nose for the entire class. So that is what the videos show. Like truly is me in a leotard with my finger like halfway up my nose and people being like, Jenny, let's go. And me just being like, Um, so I don't know. I think dance. I think like that would be so, so nice to be able to really know how to, you know, like put your body in like a proper scale or like how you hold your hands during different ballet movements. I think that would be really really nice.
0: As someone who endlessly scrolls through TikTok now, completely jealous of everyone who has even like the tiniest ounce of dancing skills, I very much understand this. I used to not care, but now that I'm on TikTok all the time, I care. Is there a lot of dancing on TikTok? Are you not on TikTok? It's I, like I don't want to I never been on TikTok. It's it's addictive. It's like I'm I don't work for TikTok. I'm not a TikTok salesperson. It's, that algorithm is spot on. If you want like an endless stream of joy in your day, it really does pinpoint your exact interests. And I get a lot of very great dance videos. I get a lot of cat videos, movie clips, and it just makes me happy.
1: Well, that's nice. So that seems like that works for you.
0: Yeah, it it does, it does. (gasps) Still gotta learn how to dance though. All right, you got one more roll in the tower. Okay. Wrapping this up with a number six. Oh, that's funny. Rap gift. What is the most memorable rap gift you ever received from a project?
1: Oh, 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 oh. Wow. Uh, I'm drawing a total blank. Like, Oh, my gosh. One time, Vanessa Bayer gave me a gift certificate to Nordstrom. And it was like the sweetest... um, most considerate thing we were filming somewhere where that was like the store. That was like the main store where we were all going. And um, that's what I need. I need something useful. I need something that's like, this is, now you have no excuses for going to buy your new bra. You know, like I, I deeply appreciate it. And it's so exactly like sweet and kind.
0: I'm a big fan of useful things, so I don't consume, uh, amass even more clutter than I already have, so useful is important. Yeah, yeah. All right, time to get into the meat of it now. So the first question I usually start with is asking someone for the movie, performance, personal experience, whatever it may be that first made them say, I want to become an actor, but you've worn so many different hats on a wide variety of projects over the years. So what was the very first dream? What is the first thing you envisioned yourself doing in the entertainment industry? I want to be a movie actor. I I really only want to be
1: a movie actor. I just, I end up like doing other things, but, and now that I've written a book, I like can't, I can't get enough and I, I, I'm writing another one. Um, but, you know, if I had to like, just only do one thing, I would, I would be an actor.
0: So when you first had that dream, was there anyone in the industry that you looked at and you said to yourself, like, that's where I picture myself when I make it? Um...
1: Yeah. I mean, it was sort of a strange combination. Like and it I guess it just went with like the age that I was at and what I had access to. So first I wanted to be like um Maria and Susan um on Sesame Street. Like those ladies on Sesame Street. I I wanted to be like them and um and then, you know, I wanted to be like Pee-wee when I saw that. And then like a lot of the things that I saw were uh, rented, uh, were borrowed from the library. That was like how we watched all our movies before we had a a video store in our town. And I loved Judy Garland, just like everyone does. But I love Judy Garland and um, her grace and her beautiful, deep, um, you know, like warbling voice. Um, How her voice was just like, it felt like it was like, so swoopy and liquid and I loved her fancy old-fashioned costumes like in Meet Me in St. Louis it takes place in like 1908 or whatever and um you know she has like a corset and a petticoat and I just assumed that if I were in something I would also have like a big important costume um I liked I liked uh things that also reminded me of like what the movie making business might be although I knew nothing about it um but yeah I I was kind of taken with all of it, not just that I would be able to perform, but I like the idea of wearing a costume and pretending to be somebody else and being allowed to do that without not, without, like, while still being myself.
0: What would you say is the biggest difference between what you pictured the movie industry or making a movie being like then compared to what happened when you hit your very first set? Well, you know, then,
1: and what I had learned because I was just asking all these questions was like, I was learning about like the golden age of like MGM, you know, like under contract, which, you know, also now we, we learn was like a hideous time where, you know, it was just like people were way overworked and underpaid and abuse and like, you know, not, not super glitzy and terrible for women. Um, and, uh, terrible for anyone who wasn't like, you know, like a, white man. Um, But anyway, um, I think like the first job I had, the first set I was ever really on was on Board to Death. And um, that was filmed in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. So it was like kind of confusing because I was like, oh, I thought I'd go to like a studio. And there, you know, I'd always imagined when I was younger, like a painted backdrop. You know, like I just watched Cleopatra for the first time on the airplane. And it's like, oh, you know, it starts and like it just has a painted background, like, of Egypt. Like, it's just the craziest, weirdest, painted, huge tarp. And I was like, that's what I thought it would be like. Instead, it was like, I'm leaving my apartment on Henry Street in Cobble Hill, and I'm I'm walking like seven blocks to the set.
0: Weird. It was weird. It was
1: confusing. I definitely
0: understand that. So going, going off of when you graduated from college, so you found a whole lot of success with Big Terrific, but you have these early ambitions to become an actor. So it does make me wonder, it's great to have success in a different realm like that, but was there any fear that, I guess, kind of making a name for yourself in that sector first could have derailed you or could have boxed you in? Because as we all well know, this is an industry that loves to box people into their first big success.
1: Sure. And also, I think, you know, a lot of people can feel like it's, it's just like easier to know your bearings if you know every single thing around you. And sometimes, like, people will label people or categorize them just to make the, the labeler feel safe. And it sometimes doesn't make sense to the people that get labeled because we're all actually very complex. Um, but so, yeah, you know, I was afraid. I, I, I started my career doing stand up because it was the only way that I could figure out how to perform. I didn't know how to audition for a play. I didn't know any other actors. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know anyone in the entertainment industry. But I knew my best friend, Gabe Liedman, and he and I did stand-up together, and we were just talking. And I think um, it wasn't then that I was like, oh, no, what if people don't know that I also want to act? I think it was when I got on SNL, because that, that contract is so long. And, like, sometimes when you do, you know, repeatedly show up in on the television and in the zeitgeist as a comedy person, you just might not get the chance to do drama. And that's, like, why I was very, very lucky to do the movie Obvious Child, because it gave me both.
0: Oh, I have questions about that. I did want to ask yeah. you one question about SNL, though, because I feel like I feel like it can be hard for someone early on in their career to lose an opportunity like that and then not have a knee-jerk reaction, or at least this might be more of a me problem, a knee-jerk reaction where I immediately blame myself. And I say, I did something wrong. But I read a quote from you, and it said that it was a decision of some man who didn't understand me 10 years ago. Was that something that you were fully aware of when it happened? Or is that something that you come to over time with more time to reflect? Uh,
1: I think at the time, I've, I felt that. And that I also felt angry at myself, just because I had felt that it was a bad fit. Like I really liked all the people there a lot. I didn't feel that they were a bad fit to be friends with, but I—I I don't know. I, I was not able to adjust into, for some reason, being like relaxed in that atmosphere. And I think it was—I think the, one of the worst things, one of the most brutal things you can do to yourself, is to be mad that you're not chill. And that's especially bad for women. You know, it's like, oh, be chill, be chill. You know, there there's no such thing as being chill. Some people are more relaxed than others. Some people are less sensitive. Some people don't show it. But like the like the chill thing, I, I just think that's a really like a definition created by a misogynist at some point. And um so I think that my own remainders of whatever internalized misogyny I had were like, yeah, you know, if you had just relaxed, you could have just blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, although I like the people there, I, I was scared. I, I don't think I liked it that much. Looking back on it, I also would have done anything to stay. stayed, you know, like I, it, it was like, you know, being in an unhealthy relationship. Like, you, where you don't understand that you're not really in love, you're just obsessed or something like i i I just think i didn't I didn't understand it all at the time, but one thing that's always been my instinct is to just gear up for resilience, you know, like and make that be graceful um and make that be as healthy as possible. like it's part of resilience for me is not being like, well screw you and then getting drunk, you know, like that is not to me resilience. I think that that to me is just like, um, something else. I don't know what that is. Um, not that I haven't done that, but I try. And I think in that moment really tried to be like, okay, I have to get another job. I have to make sure that I don't feel so bad about myself ever again. And that when I choose jobs in the future, um, now knowing what happened or something that I'll just like ask a lot of questions. But I some things you can't change what they are. Like I would never change that I was on that show. And if I was not on it and I, I was like, I got not a chance to audition for it now, you know, it would be probably really hard to say no. It's a legend. It's an incredible thing in our culture. And I'm lucky to have been on it. It just wasn't the right fit for me.
0: That's why I ask questions about bumps in the road all the time on this show because a bump in the road isn't a bump in the road if you look back on it in that way and you figure out how you grew from it and what you learned from it and how it served you well going forward. And it sounds like that was instrumental for you. Yeah, but, you know, it's also important
1: to be like, yeah, it was a bump of the road. Now it's a part of – it's just a part of the road, of a textured road. But a lot of people, I think, think that, like, you need to have had some sort of like elevated, transcendent, profound experience with your own embarrassment or loss. And the fact is like when that happened, it was so sad for me and I was so embarrassed. And that's what it looks like. And still it's okay. You know what I mean? Like it, like sometimes, like all loss is loss. You, It doesn't always look pretty. In fact, it's like kind of weird if it does. Oftentimes if it looks pretty well it's happening, it's gonna come back around and as my best friend Quinn says, you're gonna have to pay the piper.
0: That is that is for sure. So wait, now I need to uh touch on obvious child before we jump too far ahead. So with that with that one, it is like obviously an absolutely fantastic movie. It got a whole lot of award season love. When something like that comes out, can you feel the reception to a movie like that change things for you, where it opens doors to different types of roles that maybe weren't available to you before? I was very lucky. Yeah, I did feel
1: that. Or at least that people sort of knew more of who I was as a performer and what my capabilities are. I think, you know, if you want to be a working actor with a variety of Um, of work that you get to do you you hope for something like that you know Um, you hope to be introduced properly like for how you are and what your talents are and what's possible and so yeah I did feel that moment um
0: and it was really fun when something like that happens, is there anyone in your corner giving you advice and, you know, saying to you, like, this is a great opportunity where there's a significant amount of momentum? Here is how I suggest you use that momentum to keep it going and to continue getting opportunities that inspire you like this. You know, I had I had
1: friends that were just there with me to make sure that I wasn't... Um, you know, that, that I felt like seeing, you know, Gillian Robespierre, who directed Avi's Child and Elizabeth Holm, who produced it and also produced like, and co-wrote Landline and my special and Marcel, the Jewish on, they were with me. We were really a trio. I felt generally though, like I had no idea what I was doing in terms of like, just how everything worked. And you know what the one memory that does stick out for me is that And I wonder if, I I, maybe I'm the only one that remembers this, but I remember that Elliot Page told me at the time, you should get somebody to um, help you, you know, like really get interviews that matter to you. And because I didn't have a publicist, I really didn't know how to enter the business. And um, that was really helpful for me
0: to add on to that I always love asking this particular question but when you're either newer to the onset environment or how the business works is there a like a seemingly silly very basic question about the way the industry operates that you wish you had asked sooner um
1: I guess I would
0: have asked a lot more do I really have to do this
1: <laughs> you know like how important is this that I actually show up to this place and and do this because Um, I am not, I like to spend my house time in my house. Like I like, I like, I'm like a house mouse, you know? And, um, I live in Massachusetts in a small town. I live in an old house by the ocean with my husband and my baby. At that time, I lived in Hollywood. I was kind of told like, you got to go to this party and that party and that party. And most of them I went to alone. I did not enjoy that. Um, and... I just was so afraid of turning things down, but not exactly sure why I was showing up. And that made me feel really foolish. Um, And so now I do what I think is important. I talk to the people that I think are important to, you know, representing for representing my work or people who will like help say like the Marcel movie is out and you should see it because I want, I want people to see it. But um You know, I wish I had known that you don't need to let everything and everyone eat you like you are a meal because you're not. (laughs) And um, I I think it's really, really important just to figure out in general, not just in like what I do, but like, why are you interacting with who you're interacting with? What do you want more of? What do you like? What feels like it hurts? Go farther away from what, what hurts and then, you know, talk to someone you love about like why that does hurt. Figure it out. You're know,
0: They're so true. You're giving me so many little nuggets right now to put in my back pocket and make sure I remind myself of on a regular basis. Uh, before jumping into Marcel full force right now, I, I, this feels like a weird question to be asking you because I literally said this in my review of the movie. If there were an Academy Award category for voice acting, this is the type of performance that should be nominated. You've done a significant amount of voice acting work over the years. Yeah. Do you think it is about time that that particular category is added to the lineup?
1: Of course I do. Voice performance is deep, focused, and um, while you could do it, I guess, in any outfit you choose – you have to only use one part of yourself to show everything, you know, especially like for me with Marcel, I don't even have a body. Like, I did, like if, you're, if you're doing something where things are already animated, like you can kind of tailor your voice to the image that you're seeing. But, you know, um, our animator, our director of animation, Kirsten Lepore on the Marcel movie did such an incredible job of showing emotion in the body, especially when you think like Marcel is not an actor. Every single time his shell moves, even slightly, that's all Kirsten being like, this is the emotion. This is the percentage of the emotion. I'm showing it in this beautiful articulation. But yeah, I do think that. um, And I think it would encourage a lot of beautiful performances. And I think it would um, put new focus on animated work you know like if more people could see all the studio ghibli films for example they would expect different things out of their narratives they would expect different stuff out of their content anyway and maybe they also would see the world in an, in a nicer way like those films are so incredible they're so open minded they're so experimental and and um such mastery of like the visuals and the plots are so weird and they're so perfect
0: You could not have said it any better. I am a big, big believer that that category should be in there and casting director should as well. And it boggles my brain that those two, in addition to many other things, but those two in particular, just like how after all this time?
1: Casting director, for sure. I mean, that's basically like being a Yenta, you know, like being a matchmaker.
0: I mean, it kind of is. Of course it is. All right. I want to actually, uh, I was going to ask about, uh, breaking story on this, but first to follow up on something, what you just said, is there anything you discovered about your craft through all of your voice acting work when you're hyper-focused on one specific part of performing that you find influencing your live action acting now?
1: I guess just restraint, restraint, um, you know, like Marcel, a lot of times a moment is really punctuated by just like a tiny grunt, you know, um, and I- am a comedian, so restraint is kind of like a harder thing to remember to do. Um, And it's so gratifying to get a point across by doing less. You know, like I always think of, um, you know, like everything goes from like zero to 10. But I often forget that like you have like zero, negative one, negative two, like that that the spe- the spectrum of emotion goes the other way as well. And um, now I'm more interested in like in in portraying that, like I think it would be really fun to play a character whose main way of showing what's happening is not by just being like nonstop verbal the way that I tend to be when I'm like on stage, you know.
0: I get that. All right. So now I want to go back to that. What was the break story moment on this particular script? Was there anything that came to you and Dean and you're like, we got it now. This is how we turn Marcel into a feature film story. I don't think it
1: was really like that. I mean, and and Dean and I as writers and we have a co-writer, Nick Paley. I don't, it's not really, it's not really how it worked. Like it was, such a gradual process and it was Dean and Nick who were the ones that would listen to the audio and then go through and like transcribe it and then write scenes that needed to go in that it was like, Oh, we need something. We need a moment here. That's not there. Or, Oh my goodness, you know, the plot needs to go this way. And, um, I don't know. It felt like it was always a string of moments that was like, this needs to happen. This needs to happen because, The way the plot was built was like over years of recording, writing, re-recording, improvising. Like there was just a continuous process of engagement there.
0: This feels like me just being greedy, but have you guys ever considered the idea that Marcel could be well-suited for more feature adventures after this? I feel like there's probably a wealth of ideas. in ter- Like, I just love all the little little things you come up with in terms of how he gets around the hat. And it's not just cute. Like, It's not just cute, the idea that he sleeps on a piece of bread. It's legitimately inspiring that he finds ways to make things work in a seemingly impossible situation to have a fulfilling life. And I just imagine there's a million other examples like that you could explore. I'm sure there are.
1: And um, I love being Marcel. And um, yeah, like if somebody were to help us do it in a way that felt right to us, I w- I, w- I don't think I would ever say no. Um, but I, I don't know what
0: that is, you know. I was reading in the notes that you two deliberately wanted to make this movie on your own and not turn to a studio to make it happen. So now that you do have a feature film under your belt, is that something that you would consider in the future?
1: That's that's all. Um, Everything depends on who the people are and what they want and and what their mandate is. You know, like if they have a corporate mandate to do something that doesn't seem interesting to me or seems restrictive to me as an artist, you know, maybe that would be... good match for some projects for sure. You know, like I've just written like a really, um, like a really broad comedy that is based off of my love for comedies in the nineties, like Wayne's world and the Adams family and, and Wee's big adventure and, and Tommy boy, especially. Um, that's sort of like, it's really character based. It's like the kind of comedy where someone's wearing a wig, you know, and like, um, a character comedy. And that's something that I would love to make with the studio. Um, and, and that's because, like, it's suited for that type of environment and those types of notes. Because Marcel, like, lives in Dean and my hearts and psyches, we're just, we just, like, really need to be very careful because um, either it feels good or it doesn't and there is not much in between. But I certainly have faith that, you know, we could find someone who would be a pleasure to work with.
0: Whatever process is working for you two on this, keep at it, because this this movie is exceptional. Does it look like someone wants to kick me out in that room? Do we have time for a two-minute game? Yeah, that's fine. All right, so I'm, I'm going to warn you, this game is absolutely ridiculous. It's going to be silly, stupid. I don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to try. So we're going to do a Marcel Vichel version of our game, My Movie, My Way. So it's a whole bunch of questions, and we're going to build a character for you right now. If you, like real you, could be an object, what object would you pick and why? If I could be an object, um, I guess I'd be
1: a xylophone because I really love the sound of all the bing bongs and I like how the planks of the xylophones, like especially for children, are often painted beautiful colors.
0: An instrument is such a good idea. I played this with some friends last night and they're picking like like a beer glass so they could be cleaned and refilled and bring people <laughs> to... I don't know. It's, music, uh, music is such a smart idea. All right. Next question. Would your object have googly eyes like in everything, everywhere?
1: I love googly eyes. I think it's really nice to put them on anything you can. So yeah.
0: Okay. So your, your xylophone has eyes. Now... Yeah. What other inanimate object is your xylophone's best friend?
1: Let's see. I guess my xylophone's best friend um, probably be, like, a spray bottle. I just really like how they are. Like, I like that it's, like, controlled, and um, I've always liked, like, you know, pulling the little thing, and I think they're really fun.
0: Okay. So who voices your spray bottle best friend? Oh. Um... Let's see, I guess, uh, who would I pick? Oh, God, that's so hard. David Byrne. Both of your objects, they get to be on the TV show of their dreams. What TV show is that? Oh, oh, cool, cool. Um, I guess they would be on a uh, talk show, a, morning, a m- morning talk show. Okay, so this all builds to the, the culmination of this really ridiculous game very well, because... Mar- Marcel has very important messages to send out to the world via his own story. So your xylophone gets to go on this show. What kind of impression does your xylophone want to make on the world, given how your xy- your xylophone fits in it? I
1: think my xylophone want to be a problem solver. Um, it would be nice for the the show to kind of be like, people come with their everyday problems and the xylophone and the spray bottle kind of talk it out and they they figure out what to do. I think that that would be nice. And then maybe you could call the show what to do.
0: I'm sold. I'll buy this show. I'll I'll fund it. If you need a studio, it's right here. I'll make it happen. Right. I told you that was going to be ridiculous, but it'll look really cute in the end. I promise. Seriously, I've got to
1: say, I would make that show. I think that's really good.
0: I mean, you have me thinking nonstop about how inanimate objects could inspire me and change the world. Now, so the possibilities are truly endless. That's
1: that's nice. I'm glad.
0: All right, I got to let you go now. Huge thank you for your time today. Big congratulations on everything you accomplished. Thank you for everything you shared and I am rooting so hardcore for Marcel, The Shell with Shoes On, The Feature Film. Everybody out there, please go rush out and see it. Trust me, it is wonderful.
1: Thanks so much. This was really fun. I liked all your games.